if you remember uh, last week, I was sharing around agape love. We've been talking about growing deeper with God and stronger in our faith. And we talked about the fact that God's agape love is a significant way that when we practice it, we grow deeper and stronger in our faith. Now, when we talked about agape love, it, it was the love that God has or that God is. If you remember, we talked about unconquerable benevolence and that agape love is all about showing kindness to someone no matter how they treat you. Because this is the way God loves us, that he loves us no matter how we respond to him. That even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He showed kindness to us. He, and, and God calls us to this kind of love, a love that is, follows in his example, a love that, that we are called to practice as followers of Jesus. So today, I'm not going to talk long, but more in the way of introduction to this subject, and we're going to talk about it over the next couple of weeks. But today, I want to have a deeper look into how we can actually live out this kind of love, this agape love, because in reality, it looks too hard, doesn't it? He feels like, oh, it's so easy just to love someone no matter how they treat me. Does anyone find that easy? Julie. Uh, we'll have to call you Saint Julie from now on. Santa Julia. Um, it's really hard. It almost seems impossible, especially in a world where, where self is so highly promoted, where where selfishness is almost like um, lifted up and worshipped. The, the bigger your ego, the bigger you know, your popularity in some ways. It, it, so it seems like, God, how can we love like you? How is it possible? And, and uh, I believe that it is possible. And I believe God can help us do it and can make it happen. The scripture I finished my message last week with was John 17 verse 26 and it says there Jesus says this prayer and when he says I made known to them your name talking about us talking about his disciples and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them so this is Jesus prayer his prayer for us was that the love which God has within him would be in us as well. So if Jesus is asking that, to me it's, it says that he, it is possible. It's because this is Jesus' final prayer for us, that we would experience the same kind of love that exists in God himself. Remember, as I talked about it, the love that God that exists in God between Father, Son and Holy Spirit can't be contained. It's so powerful, the love that's within them, that it had to be given out. And all of this world, everything around us was created out of that love. If you want to understand Jesus' heart in desiring us to experience that love for ourselves or have it in us, I'd encourage you to look at all of John 17. 
Read the whole prayer. It's really powerful. But for sake of time today, we're not going to do that. But I want to look at a couple of verses before verse 26, where Jesus prays these words. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, his disciples then, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So some 2,000 years later, that all who will believe in me is us. Isn't that right? We are the ones that he's saying, I'm not just praying for the ones I've got now, but I know there's going to be many, many more. So he's thinking about you and me back then, knowing that sometime 2022, there's going to be a group of believers sitting together in, on the Lefevre Peninsula, and he's saying, I'm praying for them as well. And he says this, what does he pray? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. It's a pretty powerful prayer. His prayer is that we would be one like they are one in the Godhead. Father, Son and Holy Spirit united as one. Why? He says literally, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And then he says this, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is incredible. Verse 23, I am in them. So Jesus lives in us and you are in me. He's saying that God is in him. He is God eternal. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me or you love them as much as you love me. Can you grasp that? It's incredible that God would love us as much as he loves Jesus. And so in this statement, we, we, we begin to understand that agape love, if we understand what agape love is, treating others with kindness no matter how they treat us, if we understand that, we, we discover in this prayer from Jesus that agape love is fully expressed when we practice the same sort of unity that exists in God himself. I'll say that again. The fullness of what agape love is, is expressed in the unity that we have with one another. Now that's a big thing. Because when we have unity with one another, we are showing the same sort of unity that exists in God himself. And out of that, anything was possible. If we are going to practice agape love, that means unity with one another needs to be involved. 
if we don't have unity in this body, we will never be an example of agape love. And this is Jesus' prayer for us, that we would have perfect unity with each other because he knows true unity expresses a love that shows the world what God is like. So it's, it's a hard principle to grab a hold of. What comes first, unity or love? It's a bit like the chicken and the egg sort of idea. Do, because we have unity, does that mean that produces love? Or because we love one another, does that produce unity? I'm not 100% sure how it works. I don't, I don't have a theory on it. But I know that you can't have love without unity and you can't have unity without love. That if you say, I love, love God and I, I love everybody, but you do not practice unity with each other, then you don't really have love. Let me, let's look at it this way. I'll give you an example. We've been talking about deepening our roots and growing stronger in our faith. Isn't that right? And we've been using the analogy of a tree. A tree that is, has deep roots, is a strong and mighty tree, that can withstand the storms. Now using this analogy, I want to ask you a question. Where are trees at their best? Where are trees at their strongest? Where are trees at their tallest? Anyone got any ideas? What? Yeah, deep roots, but someone said it. In forests. Forests grow where there is good water supply. Forests grow where trees grow together they are literally at their strongest and deepest um, let me give you an example the strongest and tallest trees in the world today are found in forests anyone heard of a sequoia tree the great sequoia tree of north america grows over 100 meters tall and and literally in only grows in forests uh, a Closer to home, anyone heard of a mountain ash eucalypt? Do you know where they, they are? In a, whereabouts in Australia do you find a mountain ash eucalypt? Very good, Ashok. He's not even from Australia. Shame on the rest of you. Tasmania. Tasmania is where you find mountain ash eucalypts. And literally as well, over 100 metres tall. Massive trees. And where do they grow? In forests. They, they grow in forests. And for many years, scientists and ecologists believed that this idea is that trees grew strongest and tallest in forests was because they believed that it was an idea of survival of the fittest. That they were reaching for light, trying to push past all the other trees to get to the light. But this is so far from the truth because they're discovering today uh, more and more that the reason these trees are growing so strong and, and, and so tall is not because it's a su survival of the fittest, but because there is an incredible ecosystem of interdependence and community in the forest. That their roots grow far and deep and wide and they in entangle with each other and they, they literally communicate through their roots with each other. And this, that what they're doing is supporting each other so they can grow higher. So they can grow higher. And this is the incredible thing is that 
the forests are an incredible example of unity, the type of unity that produces strong and healthy trees. And forests show us what is possible when we live in community, or in other words, as we like to describe it, as what? Common unity. When we have something in common and we are unified by it. So the Bible continually encourages us, especially in the New Testament with the early church, to practice unity. Now, one of the first descriptions of the early church is in Acts 4.32, where it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of, what does it say? One heart and soul. And no one said that anything, any of the things they, that belonged to, them, to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Incredible unity. And throughout the early church teachings, whether it was Paul or Peter or others teaching them, they would continually encourage them with this concept of unity. In Romans 15 verse 6, Paul says this, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I, I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Reminds you of Jesus' prayer, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 13 Verse 11 says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encouraging one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And the last one in Philippians 2.2, you might not be able to see that down there, but it says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Continually, over and over again, the early church was encouraged to practice unity, to have perfect unity. Now, think about it. The early church had its fair share of problems, especially when it came to unity. Think of the stories in Acts, the story of Early in the church, not long after it had been established, the Hellenic Jews, the ones that came from outside of Jerusalem, complained because the local Jews seemed to be getting the best bits of the meal and they weren't getting anything. They, they thought they deserved better and there was a big uproar about this. So there was conflict, there was fighting, there was turmoil. And they, had to make, they made a decision to appoint people to serve at the table so everyone got their even fill of what was given. And if you read Acts, time and time again, Paul had a, had a beef with Barnabas and they had split and went different ways. Peter had problems with people and, and there was all sorts of conflict and difficulties. So it, it wasn't some rosy, oh, everything just went beautifully and we all just loved one another and we just, it was just so beautiful. It was a difficult time. But in all of that, in considering all of that, because they made unity their goal and their aim, even though 
the way they were established, it was fraught with danger. People coming from all sorts of backgrounds and places. The early church still survived, but it even went further than surviving. It thrived, especially amongst incredible persecution from outside. This church remained strong and it grew, even though at one point it scattered because of the persecution everywhere around the world, it continued to thrive and grow. And I believe this was possible because they became a community that understood the only way they could stay unified was by practicing agape love. That their aim was to stay unified and to practice the love that God called them to practice. The early church father, Augustine, and I've shared this here before, made this quote, which became a motto for the early church, or a a mantra, um, where he said, In essentials, unity. Strive for unity in the essential things. In non-essentials, allow liberty or freedom, the things that don't really matter. But in all things, in all things that we practice, practice love. In all things love. Now for us to understand unity, it's really important that we we understand what it's not. Because in our world today, sometimes we think unity means uniformity. Isn't that right? What I mean by that is if we're going to be unified, we need to all look the same. Or talk the same or like be the same sort of person. But that's not what unity is about. Unity is not about uniformity. But unity does mean cooperation in the midst of the great diversity that we have amongst us. That even though we're diverse and we're, there's so many different kinds, but we cooperate and work together through love to maintain unity. We can often fall into the trap of believing that for us to have unity, we all need to be the same. But if we to fully understand what unity looks like, we need to look at how God describes his church. And in the early days of the church, he described his church as a body. Isn't that right? As a human body. In, in 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. So just... That gives us a fantastic picture of what the role of the church is or how we maintain unity in the church is understanding that we're all different parts of one body. So my body needs two arms and needs two legs. My body needs a brain, although sometimes my family thinks it's not working that well. But it needs that. It needs a heart. But it even goes further than that. It, they, it Break it down. It goes into even smaller levels. There, there are numbers of cells that make up my body. Little, small, microscopic cells that you can't see. And each of those cells have a role to play. Even breaking down to DNA, that there's all so many different parts. And all those parts in a healthy body have the function of causing the body to do what it needs to do. Now, if, if, if those parts aren't doing their function and playing their role, 
then the body will become unhealthy. And it will start to get diseases and things like that and, and work against itself. But when it's healthy, all the parts are working together. And, but all the parts are very different. The Bible goes into a full description of don't let the ear think it's the mouth and all, the, all of that sort of stuff or don't let the foot want to be something else because know your part and play your role to do what God has called us to do, to make the body healthy in whatever that takes. And this is why unity is so important for us to strive for because as the body of Christ, our role is to bring God to the world around us. The aim is not so that we can all be the same. Heaven forbid, how boring would that be? That all of you would be like me. That would be, t- that would be horrible. The world would be not a better place. It just wouldn't be good. But the aim of unity with one another is to show that there, can be, that there are no divisions or no barriers that God's love cannot overcome. I'll say that again. The aim of unity with one another. What do I mean by unity with one another? Is loving each other like God loves us. So that means not thinking of myself higher than I ought. Just because I'm the pastor of the church does not mean that I'm any more important than anyone else here. I just have a different job to do. I have different responsibilities. But as I fulfill my responsibilities and you fulfill your responsibilities, together we uplift God and we work together to make it happen. That I don't think of myself more important than I ought, but I look at ways that I can serve each other. That I can serve you guys and you can serve me and we can work together for the purpose. What's the purpose? That we can show the world around us that there is no division, no barrier that, can, that can't be overcome by the love of God. Remember Romans 8? That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not even disunity. But if we strive for unity, then we will show the world that it doesn't matter if, I, if one person is rich and one person is poor. It doesn't matter if one person is of a different race or a, a different gender or any of those things. It doesn't matter because together, if we love one another and be, strive for unity together to display the love of God to the world, it shows the world that There is nothing that God's love can't overcome. Nothing. And that's pretty massive in our world today. Because there is a lot of difficulties in our world today. There's a lot of challenges in our world today that we as a church face. Difficulties. But if we strive to maintain unity with each other and to love each other, that we would become an example to the world around us and show the world both practically and authentically what is possible when we have God living in our lives. That so many people from so many different backgrounds could work together to do what the church is called to do. This is one of the great 
examples that we have in our church of pop-up kitchen. Every Wednesday night when we feed close to 100 people here, every Wednesday night, we just had a family come in last Wednesday, um, family of like two parents and five kids, all under like 10 or 12. It's crazy. But that they just loved the fact that they felt loved, that they came into this place, they weren't judged, they weren't looked down upon, but they were served and loved upon, and they just were so grateful for what we had. And that is because as a team, as a church, you might not come to pop up, and that's okay, but when you give on a Sunday, it allows us to do what pop up does. And then there's others who come and just serve and serve and, and do an amazing job. And they might not even sit at tables, but they're preparing meals and serving dinner. But people receive the blessing of the dinner. And then there's others who sit at tables and just talk to people and show them the love of God. And people keep coming back time and time again. And people say to me, um, but, you know, it's not like they're, they're coming to church on a Sunday. And I said, well, they're coming to church on a Wednesday. They're coming to church on a Wednesday and they're receiving the love of God. And at some point in their walk, they'll come to that place where they say, God, I put my life in your hands. I trust you. This is what happened in the early church. The world couldn't understand how so many people from different races, different backgrounds, different genders, different social standings, whether slave or rich or any of those things, how they could mix together and work through their problems and, and grow an amazing church that continually loved and loved and loved the world around them. But we know it was because of the one thing they had in common. Remember common unity? The common unity is Jesus Christ. The common unity is God's love. That's the common unity. It's not about us. It's all about him and what he has done for us. Now we're going to continue this, this idea next week because we want to share about a, a practice that God has given us that we may take totally for granted or not even realize the power of what it is. And we're going to share that next week. And uh, something that God has given us that promotes unity like we don't even fully grasp or comprehend. But I believe if we did, it would even raise our unity to new levels. So I'm going to um, keep you waiting for that. But we're going to finish there and we're going to pray and take a moment to pray for unity within our church. That we would learn to love like God love. Why? For the purpose of unity. It's what the purpose is, that we would be united, that we would love each other no matter who we are or where we've come from. We would love each other like God loves us. An incredible example of this last night. It was really beautiful. I got to be at the women's gathering. Um, I, was, I was making coffee. And, uh, but the ladies did this activity where they just sat down with someone and, and you had to find something you had in common. And, and they did it a few times. But it was just, as I was sitting up the back, watching people talk and relate and, and have relationship, it was just really beautiful just to see people from so many different backgrounds relating. 
and breaking down the barriers or the stigmas or whatever it is and just saying, you know, the, at the end of the day, the one thing we all have in common is Christ. Uh, and with him in us, anything is possible because nothing can separate us from his love. And so when we strive for his love, unity is automatic. Unity happens. So let's stand with me and let's pray. Let's pray. If you feel comfortable, just lift your hands to God. Lord, we come to you today. We know what we ask for, we have a responsibility to strive for as well. But we pray that with you in us, anything is possible. And God, we open our hearts to you today and we pray, help greater unity occur even in this body. We're so grateful for what you do within us and through us. But Lord, I know there's more where we can be even more unified, no matter who we are or where we've come from. I just pray right now in Jesus' name that unity would grow in this place. Lord God, as Jesus prayed, Lord, I pray that we would have an experience. May we experience such perfect unity that the world will know that we are from God and that you love us as much as you love them and Jesus himself. We pray for this today, perfect unity in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we finish, um, I would also love to pray for people with needs today. Um, we didn't get a chance to do that a bit earlier, but I know there's people struggling with stuff at the moment. And as a family and a body and being unified, we want to stand and support each other. So if there are people here today and you have a need in your life, whether it's an illness or a relationship issue or a financial issue whatever it is um, we'd love to pray so it might take a bit of boldness but all i ask you to do is just raise your hand wherever you are and we'll stand with you those people raising hands awesome number of people right across this place why don't we go and stand with people right now go and stand alongside someone that you see up the back as well lots of Mao, helen Steve and Jude, Tracy, Emily, Helen and Brian. It's wonderful. Let's stand as a family. We're in this together. Wonderful. Wonderful. Why don't you just begin to pray? Just begin to pray. You don't need to know what the need is. You can stand with them. Just pray God's peace and God's love would flow. Wonderful God. Lord, you see every need in this place. You know it more than us. You know exactly what it is. And God, we just come to you and we stand together as a body of Christ together. And we know when one part hurts, we all hurt. It's, it's just a fact of life. It's We can't function as well as we can if parts of us are hurting. And we stand with them today, Lord God, and we just pray health and wholeness. We pray reconciliation, Lord God. We just pray that your abundant life, as Linda said before, would fill them, Lord God. Fill them to overflowing. Let them know your health and your strength and your power. 
when they're, where they're struggling, Lord God, I pray those who are grieving and, and struggling with loss, Lord God, that you would bring comfort to their souls, bring peace, Lord God. Where there are mental health struggles, Lord God, I just pray that you would calm and bring peace to that turmoil in their minds. Lord God, we come to you today as you, Elohim, the provider of all, the creator of all, that you love us and you give us all things, Lord God. I pray today that you would restore, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.